Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited that you are here with us today. I am Jennifer White, and I'm here as always with my sister extraordinaire, Ellen Trackman. As well as her children running around the background from my Uh, radio podcasting studio. We do have to still admit that this is the time of COVID and that we are actually, we do all have children at home. Uh, I could even like yell and have mine say hi right now, real quick. Say hi. Huh? See, I we Ooh. all have children here. See, my children are in the background too. So nice. <laughs> but um, what? Let's see. So you know, we have our children home, which means we aren't doing the same parenty things that we do with people outside, right? Um, we do still have a lot of life outside of here, and we talk a lot about um, advocacy. And I know our guest today, especially, we're talking about advocacy and advocacy day, and some of the things that got canceled. Ellen, do you have an example of a time when you advocated or maybe over advocated anything? <laughs> Since we pre-discussed this, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, we. De- I definitely have times I've been a big advocate, um, but as we were discussing that, you know, children, you hear about things going on in school, and you want to be their biggest advocate. And there is a time last year where we feel like we might have over advocated, where. Um, we had a teacher who seemed like she was being very harsh on our poor child and it seemed like it was a lot and overboard. But now that we're doing remote school, I just want to send an apology out to that teacher. <laughs> I you won't send name a box my of chocolate. name. <laughs> yes, that uh, maybe it was over advocacy and that we just want to say thank you and we miss you. And um, I too would like to use some of those tools that you did, like sending a child to the principal's office, but can no longer do that. Where is the principal office during homeschool? I know. <laughs> um, how about you? How how about your advocacy? Has any any good advocacy stories? I don't have any good stories like that. I mean, I tend to be, you know, strong-willed and I definitely probably when I was younger and more hot-tempered used to over advocate for myself when you were younger Um, like two months ago what (laughs) well I it used to be the joke in our household that like if something was going wrong like Ryan and I would sit in the car and he'd be like if depending on how mad he was we would decide which one of us went in because he's so much calmer and cooler in any situation and like or if it was something that I had to go in he would have to be like do not lose your cool do not lose your cool do not lose your cool Um, but I'm definitely calmer now. I still advocate and I'm strong and I try, you know, but I don't like, I'm not aggressive and I don't, I don't think I mean, you know, when I advocate, um, and I know, and professionally, I feel like I advocate a lot for people all day. Right. That's what I do. You know, that that's part of, you know, surrogacy is you advocate for your, your clients in all times. Um, but that does lead me to our guest today who I met at advocacy day in Washington, D.C., uh, because we both feel strongly about advocating to make sure that everybody gets what they need in society and, you know, in the laws and especially in the infertility arena. So we're really excited to get to talk to Ryan Ferrante. Welcome, Ryan Ferrante, to the show. I think a great way to start out this interview is to talk about how Ryan and Jen first met in person. <laughs> Jen. <laughs> well, first, uh, Ryan, do you want to say hi that you're here? Hi, oh, Ryan. yeah, say hi. Hi to both of you. It is, uh, it's, 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 it's an honor to be with you. Ryan was the first person. I was actually at Advocacy Day, Washington, D.C. last year, 
And I, in, you know, true me, I'm sure anybody who's met me in person knows that I just talk in all situations. And I wandered into this room. There was only one other person in there. And I was like, I realized I was early and I was jet lagged. And I turned around and I said, am I early? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, okay, great. Go get some coffee. And I laughed. And <laughs> then turned around and I, after I, you know, 10 minutes later, I come back in and he goes, I, I think I know you. <laughs> and when, when you came in, am I early? Oh, I need coffee. Were you like, did you have your big sunglasses on? I did. Like- I was totally a diva about it too. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. So apparently Ryan had seen me on some videos we had done through our agency and also had heard our podcast before. Ooh, so this, our podcast and things come full circle by having you now on the podcast. Right? I know. Yes, that's why it's such an honor for me. Um, I had right. seen, I had seen the YouTube videos. I had listened to the podcast. I had learned an awful lot from you guys before I even met oh, you. Oh, yay. <laughs> wow. Yay. So no, it's great. And we're actually gonna talk about advocacy day too. See, yeah. full, for sure. full circle. Totally full circle. Wonderful. So Ryan, for those who don't know you already, yeah. do you want to start by giving a little background of where you live and what you do? And then we'll of dive course. into your story. Of course. Um, I am an assisted reproduction attorney. I live in Chicago. I'm originally from Cleveland. I'm a Midwest guy. Um, My wife and I have a two-year-old son um, who was born as a result of um, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears through infertility and surrogacy. Um, And then I ultimately shifted careers because of my experience. But that's a, a much longer story that I suppose we can get into in a little bit. We will. And just uh, for those, I mean, these these episodes we like to think are evergreen and are still fresh if you listen to it years from now, but we are recording during the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, is it possible that your son will will make a guest appearance? Is he there with you? It's nap time. It's nap time. <laughs> nap time. For who? For which of you? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, he's he'll be out for a couple of hours. Yeah, no worries. Um, oh, so lucky. So what were you doing uh, when you first started to think about having a family and how did that start out? Okay. So we're going way back to the beginning here. My wife and I have a story that is, I suppose, all too common. So uh, let's get raw, right? Um, I hope that there's something to be learned here um, from from our experience because it is common, but each situation is rather unique. After we got married in 2013, we knew we wanted to start a family right away. Birth control was stopped. And just like everyone else, we thought there, there was just a switch to flip and boy were we wrong right super easy right super easy super easy yeah Yeah. right you keep telling your body all these years that you don't want to get pregnant and then all of a sudden you say okay it's time to go and at the time i was working as a tax attorney and traveling back and forth to new york city from chicago at a frequency that that felt like every week, right? And we were trying to start a family. And because of our ages, we were both in our mid-30s at the time, which isn't ancient, but it might be an age for some when you have to start asking questions about the viability of natural reproduction, right? So we only waited about six months um, until we sought advice from a reproductive endocrinologist in Chicago. We tried the 
medicated timed intercourse, which at the time was we thought was going to be the least romantic part of starting a family. <laughs> but <laughs> even less romantic. Yeah, yeah. Boy, boy, were we wrong again, right? And I and you know, the medicated timed intercourse only confirmed our greatest fears. Hmm. Um, because even though we were able to achieve a pregnancy, it only ended in miscarriage. So, um, oh, so we knew, no. yeah, we knew uh, that this was going to take a little bit more help. And so we took a few months off from really trying to think about it. Even we spent the holidays with our families and, um, after the new year and I'm now I'm in, uh, early 2015, we went back to our reproductive endocrinologist in Chicago um, and I just have to say that I'm just thinking about this now as I'm talking about it. This is mm-hmm. this was an incredibly lonely um, and isolating time for us. I mean, we didn't know who to talk to. We didn't know who to turn to. Um, Which podcast to listen to. <laughs> right, right, right. We were trying to absorb as much information as yeah. possible, but it was still um, very lonely. As a matter of fact, like, yeah. um, you know, uh, one thing I've, I know I've been very guilty of, and I do far too often as, as I call on that baseball is life metaphor. And, and and when that was happening, that, that very lonely time, I remember thinking about Kevin Costner and field of dreams when he's staring out at that empty baseball diamond, thinking that something's going to happen. That's what I mm-hmm. felt like it was isolating as a couple, but it was also um, very lonely as individuals as well, because we, everyone grieves in their own ways and um, yeah. we were grieving together, but separately. So we went back to our fertility doctor after he had recommended that we now try um, IVF. And so we did mm-hmm. went through three cycles of IVF in in early 2015, I think it was, they were rather consecutive. It was March, April, and June, I think. And we just didn't have the success that we were hoping for. Each cycle resulted in one genetically normal embryo, but our fertility doctor had little confidence in the quality of the embryos. So yeah. we never even tried to transfer one of the embryos. Oh wow. Uh, oh, wow. We never even attempted. We, in fact, at the time we were told to start thinking about egg donation which is an incredible gift that many families are so lucky to have. But we were so solely focused on making IVF work that we dismissed other options, including adoption at that time. So we asked our RE if he thought we should get a second opinion. And like all great doctors, Mm -hmm. he um, and he was a great one. Um, He encouraged us to do so. One other thing about that last retrieval is in June, I think it was June of 2015, Our physician also told us that even if we had success with IVF and we got embryos that he was comfortable transferring, Lindsay, my wife, wasn't going to be able to carry a child. Oh, and was that new news? That was the first time we had actually been told it. We had our suspicions um, and he had had indicated that there might be a lining issue, but um, we were still going to try. Yeah. And so basically what we were being told is that even if the science works and we were ever able to make an embryo that the doctor was confident in transferring, we were going to need a gestational surrogate. Um, so wow. obviously our, at that point, our heads were spinning, right? Wow. Um, right. Which is now grief on top of grief on top oh of grief. Oh my gosh. You know, have to yes. Grieve the next level of, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And, I, and, you know, at this point, I just looked at my wife and I just thought about 
how much she had endured to, to that point. There was so much poking and prodding and probing and scraping and privately. And I, I think I might actually be saying this out loud for the first time. I didn't want to continue. Um, I didn't um, want to, I, I wanted to stop there. It was just too much. And there was so much sadness. Wow. There was so many other ways. And looking back on it, I know this even to be true, uh, even more so now, there were so many other ways for us to be the parents that we wanted to be without all of the disappointment. And at mm-hmm. the top of my mind was adoption. And, and that idea really excited me. But my wife would not be deterred. So I, so I followed yeah. her lead on this yeah. and you know what, I, I'm, I'm actually thinking about, you know, my wife is a, she's a fast walker. If, if anything embodies her spirits, it's, it's the, the way she walks very fast. Uh. And, um, so I, I'm thinking about all the other people that I saw in the, you know, the, the waiting rooms at fertility clinics of, uh, over all those years. Um, I have to mention something because someone out there, someone in your audience may need to hear this. And now my wife is blessed with many gifts. Um, most importantly, a, a very unique emotional strength. But the courage that infertility pulls out of you is is there in all of us. And it's savage and unforgiving disappointment that we experience could have shattered and has shattered many people who have experienced infertility. But my wife wouldn't let us quit. There's so much hope now for the infertility community. It's much different than it was years ago. So I hope that this isn't the last time that I give some advice. And again, I don't know who needs to hear it, but be relentless. Don't give up. Demand answers from your physicians. So we Great sought advice. that second opinion. Yeah, we sought the second opinion. Um, and that second opinion was after calling around, talking to friends, talking to people who had experienced this. They said, we said, where do we go now? Because we don't want to go all over the country looking for answers. If the, if it's somewhere in Chicago, tell us. And so we ended up getting a consultation with Dr. Schoolcraft at CCRM in Colorado. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, everywhere we turned, um, we we you know that was a very common answer was see what you can do about getting on Doctor Schoolcraft's schedule. So we did. We had a consultation. He told us you come out to Colorado. Let's see what we can do for you. And so here we were, years later, we starting over. I mean, we were really starting over. Um, yeah. We went out for a workup with him in late 2015, and I guess if you're not familiar with with what that one day workup looks like, there's a reason why they call it a one day workup. It, it is a full day of um, every fluid being taken, every examination <laughs> is done, including from a mental health perspective. Yeah. Um, it's mm-hmm. really an exhaustive process. Um, but when we left, Dr. Schoolcraft assured us that he was going to do everything he could to help us, right? So so here we were starting over, and now we're on our way back to Chicago, not knowing if any of the results from the examinations that they were doing were going to disqualify us or if we were going to just get more bad news. But we were back in Denver um, in January of 2016 for our first egg retrieval, but this would be our fourth total, our first egg retrieval with Dr. Schoolcraft. So after the egg retrieval, um, just like any other egg retrieval we had done, we were anxious for results. We flew back to Chicago and found out, you know, a week later or sometime after the genetic testing was done, that we had three highly graded genetically normal embryos, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. We, it, we, so we were further along than we had ever been at yeah. this point it was in this seemingly en- endless pursuit. Um, and your reaction is exactly as, is a, as encapsulates what happened in our house. We were, we were over the moon. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. I, uh, your reaction reminds me, I remember telling my brother that music just sounded better that day. Aww. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like um, you remember the scene in Tommy boy when, Tommy and Richard are singing that Carpenter song in the car at the top of their lungs. <laughs> yeah. That was that was us, um, <laughs> but it was probably Bruce Springsteen or something else a little more contemporary. Um, you know, actually, probably like Pink or Lady Gaga. But you get the idea. It was it was a celebration for two yeah. that day. We were um, we uh. could not have been more thrilled. So, had he talked at your consult about whether? Or not your wife would be able to carry or whether you would need to use a gestational carrier at what point where what were you still laboring under at that point as your assumption great question so he did wasn't sure and so when we came back for the retrieval they also took a look at the same time and so we had been given this good news that the um, an egg retrieval that was a success and fertilization was successful um, and that they were genetically normal, but all, he also confirmed what we already knew, which was that the lining was was just never going to get to a point where he was going to be comfortable transferring an embryo. So, uh, yeah. So yeah. good news tempered with news you knew, but wasn't better than you thought it was going to be. For sure. But we just set the bad news aside. We were going to be solely focused on this good mm-hmm. news. And... And so, you know, after we kind of descended from this cloud nine, Lindsay got right back to work. We, she said, okay, we need to do this again. If we're going to find a surrogate, because Dr. Schoolcraft is telling us we're going to have to find a surrogate, we should also try to bank as many embryos to give us the best chance to just have one child, right? Um, We just wanted a family and we wanted a family really desperately. So simultaneously, we prepared for another egg retrieval in Denver in June of 2016. And at the same time, we were feeling out the landscape of finding a gestational carrier. And we did what we thought was the best approach. We interviewed agency after agency after agency based on recommendations from both of the clinics where we had been patients. And we ultimately settled on one in Chicago. And it had nothing to do with the fact that they were down the street from our home. <laughs> it really didn't. Um, we just, it was a, a comfort level. And that would be, that's the advice that I give anyone who is similarly situated to us, which is find someone that you're going to be comfortable with because you're going to be spending a lot of time with them. A lot of time with them. That's exactly right. Right. That's what I say. (laughs) Um, And they went out and they found this incredible woman. We had very limited criteria in our directions to the agency um, about what we were hoping. What were your criteria? Little did I know at the time that the agencies are not going to match you with someone who doesn't live in a surrogacy-friendly state in the eyes of the law. But that was the first thing that was a concern of mine because I just didn't want to be matched with someone where the parentage process was going to be more complicated than it needed to be. Okay. Mm -hmm. The second thing was it was important for Lindsay and I that the carrier have a live-in spouse or partner because we had concerns about 
what may happen if she went into labor early or, you know, if we just had concerns about her living alone um, with her sure. own children. So, so, so that was important to us. And so they went out and they, they listened to us. They went out and found this woman. And that, who, that was it. No, like musty organic, no cell phone use, no coming within 10 feet of a microwave. <laughs> none, none of those. No, Whoa. nothing like that. We okay. wanted okay. we wanted the carrier to nanny I mean, we had, comes and called in her house <laughs> to watch every moment. No, no, we we were comfortable with everything else um, about her. She, you know, as a matter of fact, our one big criteria is live in spouse or partner. They ended up finding us yeah. someone who was married to a police officer. So that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> extra security, <laughs> extra security, right? Right. Um, so she was when we met her. She was selfless she was immeasurably strong and that and that it extends throughout the entire arrangement someone who along with her own family has become part of our family and we weren't hmm. we weren't exactly natural fits um like i said my wife and i are from the midwest i'm from cleveland she's from kansas city and here's this amazing person who grew up in jacksonville now lived in Tallahassee. So if you know anything about mm-hmm. those areas, they're not exactly the same. Her husband <laughs> is from Buffalo. So we're both Lake Erie kids kind of cut from the same cloth. And I could spend a, a whole nother podcast telling you what this woman Stacy means to us, but I'll just tell you that mm. she's a hero. She's a superhero. She wow. she should literally wear a cape wherever she goes. <laughs> so while the agency had found this family for us, we went back to CCRM that summer and had similar results with the embryos. Um, and so we now had a chance. Um, yeah. Six months after that, Lindsay and I were back in Denver one more time, but this time with our surrogate and her husband for an embryo transfer. And, and there awesome. is an awful lot more to that story, but our surrogate was and, and, and is, it, she was so graceful. She delivered a healthy baby boy for us, our son, Eddie, in 2017. In what was just a beautiful experience for all of us. Um, She was so generous with our involvement in the pregnancy of our child. In fact, if Lindsay was open to it, she wanted Lindsay to catch our son um, when when he was delivered, which she did. And so... Uh, To kind of like nudge the doctor out of the way, move over. (laughs) I I have to say, you took... So when I met you Mm -hmm. last year... I had actually managed to randomly gravitate to a photo that really I thought was incredibly beautiful because there was like an art project there. And it turns out it was a photo that you had taken of your wife at Mm -hmm. the delivery. And if you are willing to send that to us, then we'll put that up with your blog post so people, or so with your, um, with this so that people can see I will see do this. that. That was a submission to a, um, a part of Advocacy Day. There's a group called The Art of yes. Infertility that does this. And in fact, they just recently posted it on their Instagram page, but I'll send you a copy mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, Awesome. Yes, because it is such a beautiful, beautiful photo. Thank like you. Just it is. The, the <laughs> yeah. Emotion, um, yeah. Yeah. It, when that photo was taken, my wife and I um, said, that one's just for us. And then, you know, as time went on, we're like, I said to Lindsay, I've got to share this with people. I can't, more Mm. people need to see this, you know? So, but I assume it was the moment right before she caught your son. Yes. (laughs) That is there, there, there is definitely Eddie is in sight when that picture is taken. Mm. Um, So that, you know, that 
was our story um, uh, in a nutshell. I mean, uh, like I said, I can probably spend hours talking about our experience um, from IVF to surrogacy. But, you know, Lindsay and I never really thought about the topic of assisted reproduction to be taboo. Maybe that's just our generation. Maybe it's the, I don't know, maybe it's the homes we grew up in or maybe it's how caring and comforting our friends were through all of this, but we wanted to talk about it. We wanted to share our experience. We wanted others to know that we were always willing to talk about it. And that's kind of how I walked right into this new career as an attorney, as an assisted reproduction attorney, you know, in the midst of our own journey, as I mentioned, I was traveling back and forth and that just wasn't going to work. I met so many great people who encouraged me to pursue this. And and, and it's it's not easy to tell somebody, I think you should change your career because I think you might be good at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you should change your career. And little did they know I was looking for a way out. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah. And so, and so we were, you know, I was, our our son was born in, in Tallahassee, Florida. So we were, had to be represented by a Florida attorney. We had this great lawyer named Marla Newfeld. She is an inspiration to me. We love Marla. (laughs) She is incredible. She's an incredible person. She's a great attorney. And so at this, like I said, at the time I was, wasn't happy with the work that I was doing and I didn't love the regular travel that I was doing while we were trying to have a family. I read every word written by this really great lawyer named Ellen Trackman. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Tell me about her. Do you know her? Right. She's never heard of her. She's an incredible writer. Um, oh. Yeah, there's many other lawyers' blogs out there that I have I've tried to absorb every word, but Ellen Trackman's is definitely one of them. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> oh, yay. That's so nice. And, and then, as a matter of fact, I think I said that to to Ellen the first time. I, met her. I think you did. Yeah. You did to me. Yeah. No, I think you said, and you're like, yeah, you, and then like I. Ellen Trackman. And I'm like, yeah, I know her too. I think you didn't know we were sisters not. at the I time. I was like, she's my, I was like, she's my sister. And you're like, no. Well, that makes a lot of sense now. Uh, yeah. um, so I just started listening to, like, I started listening to agencies talk about what kind of lawyers they wanted to work with. I listened to other individuals and couples in uh, assisted reproduction arrangements talking about their own attorney-client relationships. And then I did what lawyers do, right? I I read and I read and I read cases, textbooks, Mm. testimonials, anything I could get my hands on. Um, And by that time, I was confident that I could be a really empathetic advocate and counselor because of, not just because of my personal experience, but in addition to my personal experience. And yeah. Oh, how'd that conversation go with your employer where you're like, I'm quitting. (laughs) I'm starting my own practice in this area, not tax. Totally different area of law. Well, um, what I probably, what I didn't mention before is that before tax law, um, and and forgive me for making this long-winded, but I am no stranger to crisis management, okay? Um, In the early 2000s, I worked for a commodities trading firm that went bankrupt a couple months after going public, okay? And so the assets from that company, including me, I suppose, were purchased by a competitor. And then that... um, that first bankruptcy is the moment that I decided to go to law school, okay? Um, And so that was the moment... I decided to go to law school and I was working full time for this competitor while while I went to school at night. So years later, that competitor 
also filed for bankruptcy in a spectacular collapse. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, wow. Fueled by decisions by our CEO at the time, who was the former governor of New Jersey. That's a whole nother podcast as well. <laughs> so, so crisis and stress and losing control were not new challenges for me. Um, and so my employer at the time knew what we were going through and the, the benefits that they provided to us were crucial to us, which I can get into in a minute, but my important. I was going to ask that <laughs> if you had if you had insurance help yeah. or benefits, or we did. it was all out of pocket. We did. That's great. Um, okay. And so, yeah, it, it, I suppose amidst all of this this experience, personally, um, my employer knew what was going on in my personal life and knew that when I left to pursue this, that it was the right call. Right. So. I actually received encouragement. That's great. So, That's great. Yeah. So yeah. So um, I left that career behind. Um, I like to say that I'm a recovering tax attorney. Um, it, um, <laughs> I left it behind for a professional life that gives me reason to leap out of bed every morning. I I, I can't wait to get to work. I will say the day we're re- the day we're recording this also happens. You know, again, I always hate to like. Tip the hat that we're uh, not recording as it goes live, but um, I'm sure as a ta- recovering tax professional of any sort, you're like, oh, thank God, it is the day after taxes. It is, it is, it is, it is, yeah. Except not this year, not do this right. year. Well, I know, I know this year's yeah. a different, but <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, helping intended parents, surrogates, donors, um, anyone involved in assisted reproduction has really been the calling of my lifetime. And um, I unfortunately had to endure this um, infertility experience in order to find it, but I'm really glad that I did. So what brought you down the path towards advocacy? You didn't just stop there. It sounds like you said you were not. You didn't just change (laughs) No, because I was saying, and and you said you were very open with people. So, you know, I know a lot of people come to advocacy day because of, you know, they use the support groups or things like that, but it sounds like you had a really supportive network around you. So what, what did bring you to advocacy? We did. And my, our advocacy, I should say, did not start with Advocacy Day per se. It was at one constant through all of this, our experience, my professional life, advocacy, one constant through all of that is the organization Resolve, the National Infertility Association. Infertility, um, let me just, I suppose it's important to talk about who turns to Resolve, right? Infertility is, it's unforgiving. It is it's emotionally and physically challenging. My wife and I were very lucky. Our experiences were different. I'm certain that in one way or another, every spouse or friend or family member have heard some version of what became common in my house, which was my wife calling me with news from the fertility clinic. And I, the same three words every time, which is it didn't work. Right. And so those are the words that I thought would break me when Lindsay called me from work. I, but, you know, I knew that we weren't broken. Right. I can fix this. You know, I was determined I can fix this before I was ultimately defeated. Right. I always think about Andrew Beckett in the movie Philadelphia when he's leaning up his head against the, the wall next to the phone and he says, every problem has a solution. And that's all I kept thinking about when we were going through all wow. of this. But we were also very lucky. We're extremely lucky, even admit amidst all of this disappointment and all of these setbacks, we had insurance that covered a significant piece of our IVF expenses. Okay. 
Um, now, surrogacy is a completely separate matter that required us to exhaust our resources, but we also benefited from unimaginable generosity from our families that made that possible. Um, and we were surrounded by angels from our lawyers to every single person we work with at the agency to our surrogate, her husband, their children. We were just, we were so incredibly lucky and that really has never been lost on us. But you ask about resolve and advocacy. And so we knew that this was something that is not available to everyone else. And we could not understand our great fortune when it came to that. And so amidst all of the research that I was doing either as a tax attorney or as an assistive reproduction attorney or for our own purposes, I constantly found myself going back to the Resolve website, right? Is this covered by insurance? How are we going to be able to afford all this? And understanding the financial landscape is essential, right? Resolve and their staff who are irreplaceable, um, they were welcoming and comforting. I reached out to them and I said, help me answer these questions. And they were fantastic. But just as important, what Lindsay and I found ultimately with Resolve was this community that helped lift us up when infertility brought us to our knees. We asked ourselves um, after the fact, how can we be, baseball analogy, how can we be like the bullpen arms for Resolve, for this organization? How can we be the reinforcements? We met all of these incredible people. And then I felt like I needed I needed to do more. Um, and I so I became an advocate. And um, every year, Resolve partners with the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and empowers this community, these people that I have met along the way. They Resolve does all of the heavy lifting at Advocacy Day by getting the time in front of your U.S. senators, your congresspersons. Yes, it was such it was it was my first National Advocacy Day last year, and it was so incredible and so empowering and. Just one of those experiences. I, I will just shout this out again. I know this year, I mean, we'll talk about how it's changed a little bit, but um, it is something that I will probably never miss again in person, you know, if possible, because it is so incredible and so empowering. It is something I write in my calendar a year in advance. And do you guys want to give the pitch to those listening who don't, who are thinking or? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to actually it? let Ryan talk about <laughs> it because it changed a little bit this year. And I know he's part of a lot of the planning committees and things like that because. I know he and I talked a couple weeks ago because I am, just so everybody knows, if anybody out there from the state of New Mexico wants to come join me, I am the New Mexico captain (laughs) for Advocacy Day this year. (laughs) But in all 50 states, Ryan, talk about how they're going to do it this year since things are a little different. Yeah, so in the past. Well, oh, I will say, before you go into it, Ryan, I will say a colleague in Colorado said, oh, do you know this Ryan Ferrante person? He reached out to me about Advocacy Day. I don't know who he is. I was like, you can trust him. He's a good guy. (laughs) You know what? You know what's funny? I know exactly who that is, and the reason that I know her before I reached out to her is she was a she was a uh-huh. guest on your podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> ah, I love it. Yeah. Yay! Because she reached out to me at the same time, and she's like, um, "Is this a thing?" I'm like, "Yes, I yeah. promise, it's a thing." Yeah. Do it. <laughs> so I'm so glad. Now we've really come full circle, right? She exactly. was not an unfamiliar exactly. name to me, only because I had heard her on your podcast. Oh, I love it! Yay. Um, but t- yeah. tell us what this year is going to sure. look like. Okay, instead. so in the past, um, it, I think it's important to talk about the past to describe the f- 
the present. Um, in the past, we've we've gone to Washington and we've met as state delegations with our elected officials in the House and Senate office buildings, in their offices. Okay, now meeting to face to face with these decision makers, like Jen said, is a, it's a remarkable experience. You can't help but feel drenched in the pride of the community and that the impact of the event will actually make a difference in the lives of so many who want to have a family. And I'll talk about some of the issues in a second. Um, but Resolve has adapted this year in, in light of the coronavirus outbreak, where everything else seems to be canceled. Resolve has said, oh, no, 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 not us. We're still going moving ahead with this. Just just a, looks just a little, looks different, a little bit different. You know how... You know, um, the phrase, there's a, a phrase that's become popular that I was thinking about when I was thinking about um, um, my experience last year. There's a phrase, badass women. It <laughs> almost feels inadequate to use that phrase unless you're talking about the women and the men that make up the Resolve advocacy community. These are these people are badass. Okay. Hmm. Um, so, so. Uh, Let's talk about who participates first, and then we'll talk about the issues, and then I, um, it'll, it'll probably make a lot more sense when we talk about how this is being translated into a, a, a virtual event. So all these people that descend upon Washington annually are um, people who are struggling to build a family, anyone who has struggled to build a family, um, healthcare providers, other professionals who serve the community like Jen or myself, um, the stories that we sit down with staff or with the congressperson themselves have an impact. They really do. I saw it happen. I have a very receptive audience in Illinois with Senators Durbin and Duckworth and Congressman Quigley as my congressperson. But we are also there to educate the lawmakers that people who struggle to build a family and live with infertility need their help. They really do. They need their help. And that is, and, and they, they can do that by creating policies and passing bills that make it easier to build a family. The most important takeaway I got from last year is that these are pro-family issues, right? That is, that is what they are. These are issues that are pro-family. And there's very little that's more American than that. Right. Those are all fine and well. Right. The, the the stories, those will have the impact. But what are we really there for? What are we trying to accomplish? Well, the the number one barrier to treatment for the infertility community is the cost and the access to health insurance covers infertility medical treatment, specifically IVF. And it's the, the current existence of it is frankly inadequate. It's, it's really inadequate. My wife and I, and I, I know we talked about this, uh, just to draw a comparison, we were incredibly lucky in that both of us at the time of our experience were working for employers who provided benefits that covered some of the costs of IVF. Those benefits eventually ran out, but they were an enormous help to us. Well, I was going to say, you know, as opposed to then we look at on the other side, you know, I'm a military family. And we have zero benefits under federal, and any federal coverage has zero infertility benefits. That's one of the issues that we keep coming back for every year to remind um, yep. our elected officials that it's really insane that we actually have to ask for this. And we'll talk about the, that, that specific bill. The benefits for us ran out, but that's still the story that I tell lawmakers. 
why, and I asked the question, why were we afforded this opportunity simply because of the work that we did and the state we lived in? How does that work? That just makes no sense yep. to me. I think it's, uh, and you guys probably know this better than anybody. Um, I think it's now 18 states with Colorado have a mandate. We were the eight. We were the 18 states. Yes. yes, we were. Congratulations. <laughs> of all the times that we have talked, I have not um, um, actually said congratulations to you on all the work that you did for that. Oh, thank amazing. you. Yeah, no, it was, it was amazing incredible. work. Um, so now we have 18 states in which there is a mandate to cover infertility diagnosis and or treatment in some way. Um, but that's 18 out of 50, right? And so at a federal level, we're trying right. to make some inroads. And this is a common phrase too. Infertility affects one in eight couples and it does not know state borders, right? It doesn't know the difference between New Mexico and Colorado and Illinois and New York state, right? Um, and we just want to make right. sure that anyone who receives their health care through government-sponsored plans have coverage for infertility services. Just a couple other things that we're really trying to attack this year. One big issue, um, and this is not new, is fertility preservation. Far too often, every single day, thousands are diagnosed with cancer and that treatment jeopardizes their future ability to have a family. And as an organization, we're trying to drive home to lawmakers, look them in the eye, it won't be that way this year, that no one should have to choose between the medical treatment of their conditions and the chance to be a parent, right? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And very important that we are securing permanent coverage of IVF for wounded veterans who have sacrificed so much already, yeah. right? That should not extend their to their chance at having their own family. Well, and uh, so many wounded veterans were so so young yeah. when they're wounded right. as well. We, I mean, it's we're talking about populations that are in their early twenties that just don't even think about, hey, I should leave a sperm sample behind. You know, they're they're twenty one, right. they're invincible. Right. They're go- you know, like they don't. I don't even think about the, those small scale logistics, much less I could come home with a permanent injury that could make it so that I can't have a child. You know, it, it, so many things that the VA just needs to be much more conscious not, of, yeah, shall we not, say. Not exactly, <laughs> you know, um, someone that young is not exactly contemplating um, that, that they could lose their opportunity to have a family. Um, and uh, another one that is uh, coming back, and this one is... Uh, garnered some some recent support and, and, and increasing attention, and that's the Every Child Deserves a Family Act. Lawmakers need a constant reminder that, that this bill will increase the number of foster and adoptive homes by banning discrimination against foster or adoptive parents or foster youth based on sex or sexual orientation or gender identity. And so those are at a high level, those are the, the bills that um, that are our primary focus. And you always, in each delegation, um, you have someone, maybe more than one, maybe more than 10, who have a story that they want to tell their lawmaker to their face. And that is what Resolve accomplishes. It's, a, it's an amazing setup that they do. They do all of the heavy lifting. They schedule the meetings. Yep. Again, this year, they will be virtual, so you can do them from your own homes. Every advocate will be given... Th- I suggest people put on pants, though. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Why? Why? Every advocate is given training uh, on the issues prior to Advocacy Day, and everyone needs to know that you're not going to be alone. 
Okay. Everyone will be part of a delegation. You'll have a state captain there, either myself or Jen, um, maybe one of those state captains. Mm-hmm. I, I, I personally recruited two people for states that had nobody this week. And I said that I reached out and I said I would go be part of their delegation to those two states. So anybody out there who wants to put their name down and say, hey, look, I'm not sure. I don't want to be alone. Put my name on there or put Ryan's name on there. One of us will, will volunteer. I, I've blocked the whole day. I, I will show up at anybody's meeting who asks me to. You're, no. you're, I actually have one I have one um, napkin with scratches on it. And that's you're reminding me that um, I have a list of <laughs> in front of me of the states that do not yet have advocates from them. If you'll indulge me, somebody from your audience yes. might be listening. Ooh. I, I can tell you one of them was filled <laughs> from yesterday, though. So at least one oh, of them. Arkansas, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire. So- nope, that one's filled. Montana's filled. I, we got at least awesome, one from Montana. Awesome. New Hampshire, South Dakota, Vermont, West Virginia, and Wyoming. And even if you're not, even if you're from one of the states with an existing delegation, still go. go. Make your voice heard. Yes. Still go. We want you to join us. We want lawmakers to hear from you too. It is a humbling experience and it's an empowering moment for for so many people. I I guess, Jen, maybe you um, have a distinct experience, but for every advocate, there has, there there was a moment in their lives where they thought, geez, no one told me that having a family would be easy, but no one said it would be hard. Right. So, so every person, whether it's Mm -hmm. the patient, the professional, the, the friend or family member who has suffered, we need your help. Like I, I, I've even, when I left Washington last year, before I even left the airport to come back to Chicago, I called my father in Cleveland and I said, you're coming with me next year. Right. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So, I love it. Um, so that, that is advocacy day in a nutshell. And you can learn an awful lot about advocacy day on their website, which is resolve.org. We encourage people to sign up. Um, it's free. Um, there's no cost to register. If you did register, you'd probably be hearing from me or from your state captain um, or from somebody else on the, the planning committee to, to make sure that you have your hand held and you're prepared and trained and encouraged to share your story so that lawmakers can take that back to... And I will also just caution, and one of the things I took away from last year, and granted, because I was a sole delegate from my own state, uh, it was a little harder for me to hide, but there's a lot of states that have larger delegations. And even if you're uncomfortable speaking, it's still worth going and making your face seen and letting your legislators see that there are a lot of people out here that this personally affects. So even if all you end up doing is just saying your name, but letting somebody else tell their story in in your place and you as a group deciding, that's still so powerful because they the more they see these are real people whose lives are being affected, the better chances we have for all of us. Jen, that is such a great point. And it's something that really hit home for me last year. And, and it's my hope again this year and the year after and the year after that is that any of those who have stayed or stay silent in the face of infertility, bravely, I might add, can continue to do so while their voices while the voices that are that are willing can amplify those whispers, right? But your face being seen equals your voice being heard as well in many of these situations. That's right. No, I'm very, very excited. So when is Advocacy Day this year? Because we haven't uh, It's May it 20th. 
Um, it was originally scheduled um, under normal circumstances. We would meet in Washington and on May 19th, we'd have a training um, and then um, everyone would meet again in the morning of the 20th and all walk to Capitol Hill together. Um, the, the logistics of the advocacy day are still being worked out, so I can't comment on the specifics, but it is going to happen. Um, and we have already scheduled audiences with every United States Senator, whether that be with their staff or the Senator themselves. So, or at least that's the goal. Is there a deadline for people to sign up? Since this one is the deadline to sign up is May 15th, which just gives us five days to make sure that you're in the right delegation and that you're speaking with the the right that you have a state captain assigned to you to help you um, prepare for advocacy day. And it's every year in May. So if someone's listening to this in June or July after this, this one has happened. That's right. Plan on next year, right? It's usually it's usually about the third week ish of May every year. Well, hopefully we get a few more signups from our podcast listeners. But Ryan, we really appreciate you sharing your story, being an advocate, helping people professionally as well, and all that you you do to help the community. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was this has um, really been an honor um, uh, for somebody who's been listening to it for a very long time. Yeah, it's a dream, I was hoping you say a dream come true. It's a dream come true yeah. for us yes. to have Thanks. you on. Thank you. Thank you to Ryan for sharing his story and for all he does to advocate for others that even though, you know, he, he has reached a better place, although still trying still moving forward with his family, that he's really working and spending the time to make sure others can achieve that dream too. Yes. And for those who are listening, as this comes out, there is still time and always resources for everybody to join the virtual advocacy day. So please, please register. It's an incredible, incredible life-changing event. And I really, you know, it's so empowering. I I know I said that in the interview, but I I cannot stress enough how incredible it is. So um, so please join us. I'd love to see everybody there. Um, But for now, what we would love to see is reviews on iTunes, of course. Or uh, stars. You can throw some stars in. stars. Yeah. I mean, Um, hopefully five, but nope. Yeah, I mean, we'll take what we can get, right? You know, people. Honesty is a good thing. I, I advocate for people to be honest too, right? <laughs> um, but we always are happy to get your emails, to get messages via Facebook, or to call our phone line at three zero three nine nine seven one nine zero three because we love to hear from people. And um, as always, huge thank you to our team that makes us sound incredible, to Amanda, to Lexi, to Tyler, and of course, to Chris at Work at Bird Studios. We would not be here without them. And especially we would not be here without you who listen to us. So thank you so much. Thank you. 